How's it going, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome into another episode of Suncast Postseason Edition. Come on, Manny, how are we feeling for the postseason? I'm excited, man. I'm excited. I'm I'm thrilled. I'm I'm ready to get it going. This weekend cannot come fast enough. Absolutely, and we are going to get in a preview for the baseball and the softball tournament. That, and also national champion track coach, four-time Sun Conference uh, out. Indoor, three-time outdoor, Coach Nick Dotson from Southeastern University. Have him on at the end of the episode. So stick around. Great interview. About 27, 25, 27 minutes, something like that. Great interview at the end of the episode with Coach Dotson. So stick around and listen to that. A couple of housekeeping things. So as I'm sure you all saw, the stat graphics went out uh, for the baseball and softball uh, stat leaders here in 2023 season. We're going to talk about a one, one performance that helped elevate to the top of that, but we do have one stat correction. So we checked Sunday. We made sure all the stats were right. Everything on the information on the graphics are correct. However, there was a late stat entry that changed one of the stats on Monday morning. So if you saw on the softball graphic that Madeline Morton was the ERA leader, that was true as of pretty much everything up until Monday uh, Monday morning, which, as you all know, was after we posted. Uh, we thought everything w- was in. Hand up. That's on me. I, I won't I won't even put that on anybody else uh, in the organization. Put that on me. Uh, but we thought Sunday it was it. So we do want to fix one thing for the softball. ERA leader is actually St. Thomas's abby smith we didn't want to post one graphic just one off graphic uh but yeah there was that late late entry so apologies for that we thought all everything was in and good but abby smith is the era leader for the 2023 season everything else is correct it's the right numbers it's the right leader that was a one adjustment want to make sure that we led off the podcast with that we'll be talking a lot more about abby smith when we get into the softball tournament in clearwater uh, let's see. How do I want to do this? How about this, Manny? How about we tell everybody our schedule, where we're going to be, and kind of what we're doing this next week as far as live coverage before we kind of get into the actual preview? You good with that? Yeah, I'm good with that. Okay. So, folks, it's kind of how we decided to break it down. So, it's easier, easiest for me to go to Clearwater and cover the softball tournament. Y'all know my work with NAISB. Makes more sense for me to be there. I'm closer to it. So I'll be there for the entire tournament, uh, the fourth through the sixth, if it gets pushed to the seventh, which, you know, the it looks clear, but we all know Florida weather, unpredictable. We hope that it'll end on the sixth. And then on the seventh, I will be in West Palm Beach for the baseball championship game. Again, assuming weather does not change these dates. Uh, in Clearwater, it'll be media coverage, just like in West Palm Beach. I might hop on the call, so there may be one game where there's no uh, there's no video coverage on Twitter, but I'm going to hop, hop up in, uh, in the box. Really appreciate uh, Ryan with Ave Maria. He's putting that putting that together, putting the production together. Great SID uh, for Ave Maria for the Gyrenes. I'm going to be hopping up in, in the booth, possibly. We'll see, but most likely, but... Manny, Brian, and Joe will be in West Palm Beach, and we have a schedule together. We we think we're going to be able to do all the games in West Palm Beach. What we know will be covered are all the Saturday games and, of course, the championship game. Could be one or two of the other games that, hey, we just can't get bodies there. It is what it is. But we will try to be out there best we can possibly. 
best we possibly can, excuse me, uh, covering it. How it will work, Manny, Joe, and Brian, whoever's there covering in West Palm Beach will be on the Suncast Podcast Twitter page, and they will be posting the highlights there, and as well as uploading them to the Instagram story. And basically what they'll do is they'll post the actual uh, video with the description in the Twitter thread. There'll be the game Twitter thread. So like for when St. Thomas plays Weber uh, uh, to, to start off the tournament with uh, Southeastern and Flomo, whoever, whatever, whoever's playing, it will be there. It will be listed on the Suncast podcast Twitter. And then the highlights will be posted from the Twitter, copy pasted onto the Suncast Instagram. But I would recommend going to the Twitter. And that's not just because we're trying to get the Twitter numbers up. It's because that's where the actual video will be at. For softball, it will be the same thing. Uh, so baseball, that's playing for baseball. Softball will be the same thing. The only difference could be for a couple of the games, it could be on NAISBs. I might, I might move, especially the championship game, we could move that to the NAISB, but it will be the same premise. It will either be on the Suncast podcast or on the NAISB uh, Twitter's with the same premise, and y'all will all y'all will know that well before the game. We'll say it on our Twitter. Uh, so yeah, we're we're good with that. Manny, anything else I need to touch on there, or did I hit all of our bases? I think you hit all of our bases. First shot, first go. All right. Well, let's get into it. First off, Manny, how about them Warriors? I and this is the only game I really want want to preview because hey, I, I, this is meant for the conference preview. But I told you. This was the weekend the Weber Warriors got it together. I said they would take two or three. Manny, they did a lot more than that. They really did. It was – I really just wrote down in my notes, statement series for Weber. It was – shout out to Brian. He had some great media coverage. Felt like I was out oh, at the game through uh, through Instagram and all the posts and all that stuff. But it was – it was surprising. It really was. And I think I think you were right. You called. You said this is the weekend of the Warriors between Golden State and now Weber. I mean, I don't know what it was. It was just Warriors weekend everywhere. I'll tell you what, NBA playoffs right now. It, this is it, this is kind of like a time where I'm like, oh, I kind of wish I had an NBA basketball uh, podcast. Not because I am a huge NBA fan, but last night I just sat down and I watched the Boston Philly game and the uh, Phoenix Denver game. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is awesome. Kind of, kind of had me missing uh covering St. Thomas uh, during the opening round, but uh, <laughs> let's let, let refocus back on the baseball and softball. Yes. Weber made the statement, the big performance, of course, two guys, Angel Diaz, Blaine Huter, Angel Diaz, eight RBIs in the three game stretch that propelled him to the top of the conference and RBIs by the skin of his teeth, beating out Gary Laura by one RBI angel has 63 RBIs on the year for Weber that led the sun conference. And also Manny, we talked a couple of weeks ago about who would be the pitcher of the year in the sun conference. And we mentioned Dylan Martin, Xavier Rodriguez, Danny Batcher, Darian Smith, Rob Adams, Max Sharnan, blah, 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 blah. Did we think we a few weeks ago, a month ago, I'd say about a month ago when, uh, when we did that, that Blaine Huter would be leading these, not leading, the leader. He is, he won. He has the lowest ERA in the Sun Conference. He's the only guy in the Sun Conference with a sub three ERA. And all of a sudden, this Weber staff that had Dylan Martin and Xavier Rodriguez. Now we can talk about X a little bit later on when we talk, when we get into the baseball preview. He's had some worrisome starts, but 
Blaine Huter might be the best pitcher in the Sun Conference right now. And that is not a outrageous statement to make by any stretch. I still remember for the Weber St. Thomas series uh, when Weber came down here in Miami Gardens. That was the biggest takeaway I had. I only covered the one game. I was only able to start for the first game, but that was the biggest takeaway I had because in that first game, Herter was amazing. Five innings pitched, seven hits, only allowed four earned runs, three walks and three strikeouts, and 80 pitches thrown. Like he was the reason I feel like the Bobcats could not get any offense and they won that first game. And for retrospect, he didn't pitch the rest of the series. So I think Herter is, he, he, like you said, people were really giving him too much attention because Dylan Martin, Rodriguez, they were getting a lot of it. But they might have a, a three-headed monster in that bullpen that, that could be could be dicey for, for this Sun Conference tournament. Yeah, and you start throwing in names like Mark Link as well that's going to be starring for the Warriors. He has been outstanding. Uh, you know, there was that, that one little, little, little bit of trouble he got into against St. Thomas. But, oh, my gosh, Mark Link is now going for the Warriors. And uh, I'm buzzing. That must mean the boys are buzzing, man. Hey, they're feeling good. The boys are feeling good heading, heading into West Palm Beach. But – yeah, I mean Bl- Blaine Huter. Uh, you know, just real quick. Um, I know, I know, we'll we'll get the Webercast comments go- going now, starting off this episode, what way it is. But um, I don't think there was a better performance this year in the regular season when you look at what it meant. Weber re- really needed a sweep. I mean, they needed a sweep. When it came down to it, they needed a sweep. Two or three would have been great, but they needed a sweep. They needed that. They needed the momentum. Abe's as good as a team as it is. And it wasn't just that he beat them. It was how he beat them. Complete game, shutout, 10Ks. But I'm not talking about that. Manny, what makes Ave Maria so difficult? What makes him so good? What's so good about him? It's obvious. It's they steal the bags. They run the bases better than almost anybody in the country. And we saw Daniel Kaler, he went 30, what, 38 for 39 on stealing bases, leading the conference back-to-back years. They steal bags. What does Blaine Huter do? Only lets them get on base five times, and two of those times he picks them off. That's how you beat a running team. Now, look, I don't want, want to say Weber's got Ave's number quite yet be, because, you know, if I, if I say that, of course, that means uh, they'll meet in the conference tournament and Ave will win, but they're 4-0. Weber's 4-0, and what does Weber pitching do, do so well? They keep runners on. They don't allow you to steal them, and they have two good defensive catchers that help them out with Tommy and Josh. And it just seems like I don't – it's not – it kind of is a mismatch, but you kind of get what I'm saying, folks. It's like Weber pitching, especially Blaine Huter, Dylan Martin, Xavier Rodriguez, all being able to pick off runners extremely well and hold them on close, that takes away a dynamic part of Ave's offense, and we saw it this weekend. I have to agree with you, and that's why, you know, a little preview of the predictions, that is the series that has me complete – that is the game, I should say, that has me completely confused. Like, if these two teams match up again in the conference tournament, I honestly – although you said Weber might not have their numbers, but they have the recipe for it. They match up well. They match up well. Yeah, I also am curious if Aves – that mentality they've had all year will be like, no, 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 we're, we're, we're coming in. We're ready for it now. And it'll be, that'll be a great, that might be the game of the tournament aside from the championship game, because that could determine who else is in that final game for the conference tournament for the conference championship. That's a series that I'm really looking forward to. If we ever get to that moment. Well, let's get into it. Let's start off with baseball, Manny first game that we have kicking off of the sun conference 
uh, the Southern Conference Baseball Tournament in West Palm Beach is Southeastern versus Florida Memorial. Miracles happen. Upsets happen. They do, especially in baseball. I'm not saying it won't happen. I will say, though, this was probably the easiest first game to predict. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I mean, it's like you said, miracles do happen. It's, it's kind of a one-off situation, but it's got to be Southeastern from the start. It's, it's, it's really that simple. I don't think there needs to be a lot of X's and O's into it. They're the best team in the conference, the best team in the nation going wire to wire the entire year, the number one in the nation in the top 25. It's, it's They are that good. They are that good, and they might be playing their best baseball at the right time. Yeah, and – you know, if if Max Max Sharnan is kind of the, that only thing where I'm like, could he go do it? But then we just saw what he what he did against Southeastern. Now there, it is a little bit different uh, playing them at the ballparks West Palm Beach versus uh, Teddy Boer Field in Lakeland. But against Southeastern, he only went two innings, gave up four earned runs. It was wasn't his best outing. Not what we've seen against them. You know, against every other Sun Conference team. But still, even if he goes out there and pitches the way he has pitched this year. I'm not sure if I if I see it being enough for whatever arm Southeastern throws added into that lineup. So I do think Southeastern will move on into the winner's bracket uh, fairly handily. I have to agree with you for sure, for sure. The next two are a lot more complicated. So our second game to kick off the tournament is St. Thomas. Excuse me, is, a, is the second game is Ave Maria versus Kaiser. No, Ave, a team we just talked about. Kaiser, and one of those teams that just – couldn't quite get it going in the regular season and is looking kind of you know, down the barrel of the gun, for lack of a better term, them and a team we're about to talk about um, in a second, then they're not used to that spot. But you look at Kaiser, they have to win the Sun Conference Tournament. And that's not a position that they're usually in, but they are an experienced side. And you do have to kind of ask yourself this Ave team that – Frankly, didn't look good. They didn't look good last weekend. We haven't been able to say that all year, but they didn't look good. I mean, that's not how you want to enter West Palm Beach, especially if you're a team that doesn't have hardly any experience in the postseason. I agree with you. I think this one is not the one that I called the most interesting of the opening matchups, but it definitely was a close second. Obviously, won the season series two to one, and it was at West Palm. A few names: Daniel Keller, Jose Gonzalez. Those are the names that I'm looking at for Ave to see if they can continue to play the way they were playing. Aside from that last weekend, if they use that as "Hey, it's a one-off. It happens. We're gonna right the ship and move forward." then I think Ave can come out on top because they have just had the better season. Like you said, Kaiser has been a little up and down. They somewhat figured it out. There are a few names on there that you're like, mm, maybe they can come. You know, Kenny De Clemente, uh, John Michael Riley, Alejandro Marcaneo. Those are some names that if the batting gets going, because I look at their series, I don't know how I missed it. Their series was a high octane series. There was a lot yeah. of runs being put, a lot of hits being put up. So if it comes down to that, like you said earlier, obviously the stealing, the base running, it's impressive. And if it gets into a, a offensive matchup, I'm going to give the edge to Ave because of the amount of steals that they do, the amount of times that runners are getting on base, whether by walk, whether by hits. And I think that that is going to come down to it. And I think that's why Ave will win that first matchup. 
Yeah, I tend to agree with you. You know, like you said, it was a very, very good series, but that's that's kind of what Kaiser has played in. I mean, you look at all their series, it's like, oh my gosh, if they could just get things to bounce their way a little bit more, they have a one or two less errors. It's a totally different season for Kaiser, but you know, eventually you just it's just kind of like you are what you are. And unfortunately for Kaiser, I think Ave matches up really well against them. I think other than Flomo, I think this is exactly who Ave would have liked to have seen uh, in, in, in the opening round of the conference tournament. However, that can turn on because this is a Kaiser team that is experienced. They're in their backyard. They're not going to be afraid of the bright lights of the Sun Conference tournament. I'm not saying Ave will either, but last weekend was kind of their dress rehearsal for what they would do in the postseason. And they got a bad review on Rotten Tomatoes, so they're going. They're going to have to pick it up. I do think they do. I think it. I think Garrett Rice for Kaiser will likely be the the starter. Don't want to guarantee that. Obviously, don't know what Coach Fordyce will go with. But we talk about Weber being able to hold Kaiser on or hold Ave on very well. That will be a bit. That will be a big question mark for me. Will Kaiser be able to do it? Because in the games that. You know, I've seen in the stats and especially that series against Weber, they had a little bit of trouble holding runners on. And that was against Weber. And, you know, Weber's a solid base stealing team. I mean, they don't burn the base paths on fire by any stretch of the imagination. But Ave does. And you think Coach McCormick's going to be ag- aggressive in the in the postseason? Oh, yes, he is, ladies and gentlemen. So I think it, this is a very interesting game. It, I could really see it going either way, but I do lean Ave Maria moving forward as well. And on that note, I look back at the notes. They Ave had eleven stolen bases throughout that series, and I and that honestly for me, that's like a typical number for them to get to. Like that's yeah. not like outrageous because there are plenty of series where they have had. Again, I'd go back to that St. Thomas series when they played the Bobcats at Ave Maria. It felt like every other call I heard was another stolen base, another stolen base, two stolen bases at the same time. So that is going to be the, the thing that we look at at the end of the game and say, okay, how many stolen bases did Ave Maria get? And is that going to be the deciding factor in the stats sheet of like, yeah, they just kept, they kept running the bases and kept taking opportunities that Kaiser was giving them. Yeah. And I think they have the the two best base still or two of the, the top three to five base stealers in the Sun Conference, uh, and Daniel Kaler and Tanner Kelly, both 30-plus stolen base guys. They got a lot of other guys in double digit too. I know Cole Raspberry, David Leonardi, they're both in double digits. Uh, you know, Shahidi, Coffee, they'll steal. Jose Gonzalez, I know he's in double digits. He's, I think he's over 15 or right at 15 now. So they will they will burn the, the base paths. It'll be up to whoever's catching for Kaiser to hold, hold them close, as well as the pitchers. Like I said, that is what Weber did. They took that away from Ave Maria. The pitching, not even so much the catching. You have that number. They had 11 stolen bases against Kaiser. They had zero goose egg against Weber. And look, I don't, I, I'm not gonna lie. I haven't checked every series to see if they if they've uh, gone over in stealing bases. But I know that's the only Sun Conference series that they didn't win a game. Yeah, I'm. I'm I think it'd be a safe bet to say that. Normally, they get a couple stolen bases. Zero against an obvious team that, again, momentum, confidence is at an all-time high. It's your senior day. Like, that's impressive for Weber, for sure. Absolutely. Well, let's talk about the Weber Warriors. They're taking on your St. Thomas Bobcats in the nightcap of that game. Is that one you're at? Are you uh you doing coverage? Yes, I'll, I'll be at that one. That's the one. Awesome. So you're, you're, you're at that one. That'll be awesome. Um, 
Oh boy, uh, <laughs> a lot to a lot to unpack in this series. This because, is the most interesting matchup. Like this is it. This one is right here where yes, this could get dicey. This is your premier matchup. Perfect. It's the third game. Love that it works out in that way. I mean, it's uh, what's it supposed to be yesterday. Three four matchup. And Lord have mercy, Manny. There is a lot of baggage in this series because you look at what happened last year. St. Thomas got the better of Weber in the conference tournament. Weber got the best of St. Thomas in the opening round. Very close series in the regular season this year. All three or two two close games said St. Thomas won. Weber winning game one. These teams just go back and forth. It is constant back and forth with these two teams. It's Never it seems that since I've been covering it, it's never a bad game when, when the two teams play. Uh, in fact, I think really the only bad game I can think of between them was that uh, for, or the second time they played, the second of three times they played in the opening round last year. St. Thomas just molly walked Weber to in uh, St. Thomas's elimination game, whatever. No need for history lesson here. Manny, I, you know who I'm rocking with. Uh, you, you know, you know I'm picking Weber. Um, you know I'm picking Weber to win. Um, and for the the reasons that I said before, I don't know who's pitching, and that is, in all honesty, I don't know if it's Huter or if it's Martin, but I'm pretty confident in whoever it is. They're p- both pitching well. Um, I think it'll be Huter. If I had to take a guess, if I had to take a look in the in the mind of Colin I would say that's who they're going to be rocking with but if it's Dylan Martin I mean you can't go wrong, wrong with either of them I think it would just kind of be whatever whatever they think the be- better matchup is do you think there is a better matchup in choosing between those two for uh to go up against St. Thomas I don't think you can go wrong I think it's whichever like you said the matchup they go with again Huter did start that series against the Bobcats. He was the one who was credited with the only win of the series. Um, that was also the game that Lovell and Youngblood uh, also pitched combined. They pitched for about four innings, three hits, two earned runs, three walks, two strikeouts. But Huter did majority of the damage. I remember watching a game, calling that game. It was impressive. Like I was genuinely impressed by his performance. And if he's even half that, and you add in Dylan Martin or Rodriguez, it's it's tough. I actually am going to agree with you and say I think the Warriors come out on top. I think that the pitching from the Warriors, if it is going to be at that level, if if it goes to be at that level and the pitching for the Bobcats just there are times where it's amazing and then there's times where we're searching, we're going deep in the bullpen and if the Warriors play the way they played in that first game, where it felt all Warriors. It legitimately felt in that first game of three, it just was a Weber masterclass on every sense of the word. They scored in the first five innings, two, three, one, two, and two. St. Thomas only scored in two innings. That just is not going to work. If you had the pitching of the Warriors and they're running the bases, hitting their bats, Angel Diaz is just him. It's just that simple. Like, I really cannot get into anymore. In that game, he went two for six, two runs, three RBIs, and two stolen bases. Next game, three for five, two runs, one stolen base. He was doing amazing. The only game that he struggled in when he went 0 for 4 was the final game where St. Thomas won 11 for 4. But that I feel like is not going to be an anomaly. I don't think he's going to come out here and go 0 for 4 in his in his at bats. It's just not going to happen. He's a big time player for a reason. And then you add in people like Drake Dobinsky and Morales, 
I just think it's all working together right now. The only reason I would be hesitant if I am a St. Thomas, well, I am a St. Thomas fan, but if I'm going <laughs> to pick St. Thomas, if the bats can be a little consistent yeah. and the pitching meets it halfway, okay, now we can start talking about it. But throughout the season, we're talking about a team, the Bobcats, who was a roller coaster every year. They right to the ship towards the end. They're above 500. Overall, in the history of this matchup, they actually hold the advantage 33 to 23 against the Warriors. But this year, it just feels like it's going to be Weber's matchup in the first matchup of the tournament for the, for these two teams. Yeah, I mean, I, you, you hit the nail on the head. You know, I, I think Weber right now, it would it, it would have to be one of those scenarios for St. Thomas to win. I think this is the recipe. I think Blaine, Dillon, whoever's pitching ha, is just not having a good night. And St. Thomas' lineup lights them up. If that happens, then I then yes, then it could happen. But I just think the way the Weber lineup is looking, the way Colin has built this team for now, I think I do think Weber gets off to a hot start, and that's kind of what they do. They they get uh, started off hot in series. Like the last two, their I mean, probably their best game against Abbey was that game one win, and then you know Thomas, that Thomas series is just still. Uh, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, winning game one, 12 nothing, and then losing uh, the next two is still crazy. By the way, um, real real quick break in the action. Folks, I know their season's over. We're not going to cover them again, unfortunately. The, the Thomas Nighthawks, they are leaving the Sun Conference after this year. Sad. I know, um, Manny, I think I may have just broke that news to you. Sorry. Um, I mean, this 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 is known. This is breaking news. This is known. Boy, I tell you what, they their record doesn't show it. But look at the season: win over two wins over Weber, a win over St. Thomas, gave Southeastern the best series they may have had. I mean, this is probably one of the most competitive Sun Conference series they've had outside of Ave Maria for uh, Southeastern for the boys in Lakeland. And man. We're not going to see – you know, like I said, not going to see him. Didn't work out for him. Didn't make the conference tournament. But, man, uh, you know, shout-out Coach Coach Tom Fleener, a friend of the program, you know, Matt DeLay, all those guys um, in Thomasville, Georgia. Hey, you know, shout-out to 229. They're my hometown team. They, I mean, they are. Uh, you know, shout-out Thomas. Uh, baseball team, softball teams uh, still get to cover you for a little bit longer. Get Went through the spill with their, um, with their soccer team, their men and women's soccer team last year. But – you know, honestly, really appreciate uh, you know y'all just being in the Sun Conference, uh, welcoming Suncast with opening arms, Coach Fleener, especially you. Uh, you know, you were awesome. Really appreciate you. Uh, best of luck. Pretty sure Southern States, that's where they're going. So best of luck. Go whip up on on uh, Middle Georgia, William Carey, uh, Mobile, all of them. We'll be rooting for y'all. Hey, official, lock it in. Next year, my favorite NAI baseball team, not in the Sun Conference, the Thomas Nighthawks. Period. By the way. <laughs> How sweet would it be if they go and they give the Southern States a run next year? That that would be fun. But let's get back to the regular schedule program. We're not going. We're not filling out a bracket. We're not doing if ands and buts because that's who cares. That may happen, Manny. We're probably all wrong anyways. But uh, it's probably it'll probably be. I, I'm pretty confident in Southeastern, but us both saying Ave and Weber almost virtually guarantees. It will be St. Thomas and uh, Kaiser going on, and then uh, the the other two heading down to the losers bracket, which would be 
not ha ha funny, but kind of funny if Kaiser and St. Thomas do win and it's like, okay, our winner's bracket teams in a year where we've had all these other teams kind of seem to take a step up and then our quote-unquote blue bloods take a step back if the three teams in the winner bracket after day one are Southeastern, Kaiser, and St. Thomas, that would be kind of funny, but whatever. Um, okay, let's do softball. Uh, actually, yeah, let's do softball. Let's do the softball uh, for opening round preview. Manny, which game excites you the most uh, getting started? So I don't – Oh, I don't actually have the standings, the, the the games. I'm assuming it's Coastal and Warner and Thomas, Southeastern uh, Warner and St. Thomas and Kaiser. I'm assuming that is correct. And I had all the games in front of me, and now I don't. All right, here we go. Here we go. All right. Um. So yes, it is Warner versus Kaiser in game one. Thomas versus Saint Thomas in game two. Because we uh, it is softball, so it's a little bit different. Um. We'll we will predict the winner for those games, and then give you our prediction for who they face in the game three and four. Because it is a little bit different. Um. In base baseball. Um. Not uh, you, you. You didn't know that you're doing you're doing the baseball thing. Uh. Down there, but it is Warner versus Kaiser. Thomas versus Saint Thomas. Coastal Georgia takes on the winner of Warner and Kaiser. Southeastern takes on the winner of Thomas and St. Thomas. So let's look first at game one, Warner versus Kaiser. Boy, we get a good matchup there in the circle. I assume we'll see Lizzie Small versus Madeline Morton. When I look at the teams as a whole, I pick Kaiser. Uh, I'm confident in saying Kaiser is overall the better team. But then I look at the arm in the circle. I look at Madeline Morton, and I'm like, I think she can get one. And this is a young Kaiser team. It's going to be very – this is a tough one, but I do think Madeline Morton gives a master class performance for Warner. It'll be a scrappy game, not a lot of – it's going to be just a classic Sun Conference, one of those one nothing, 2 to one games. If Kaiser gets to her – and they score three or four runs, they win. I do think that. I do think Lizzie Small has a good performance in the mound, but I think she's going up against us a little bit, a little bit di different of a dog in, in Madeline Morton. And she, that she is a, a a dog. She is very, very, very good, folks. Uh, I I I do think that Madeline Morton is the most underrated player in NAI softball. Uh, the numbers she puts up everything, uh, the way she pitches, the way she can control the game, playing through injury, uh, playing through a lot of adversity this year. I think we get a masterclass performance from her and get to kick off uh, the tournament in Clearwater. I have to agree with you. Uh, I pulled up their season series. Warner took the first game two to one, eight innings. Kaiser jumped back, took next game three to four. And then Warner closed it out 4-0. These games were all played at Warner, so they had that advantage in Lake Wales. But I have to agree with you, too. You know, I mentioned Angel Diaz is him. I think Madeline Morton's her. Like, she yeah. has had a heck of a season. It's been impressive. And I think that that is that little extra edge that if she, like you said, it's going to be a classic Sun Conference matchup where runs are kind of few and far between. One run, even runner getting on third. I've seen a lot of series this year where, 
runner getting the third has been very, very hard for teams. So if it goes to those low numbers, I think Warner has that advantage. But like you said, if Kaiser gets a couple in that maybe are on errors or, or just opportunity that they capitalize on, then we could be talking about Kaiser coming out on top. But I would go into it giving the advantage to Warner just because of who's in the circle. And they seem to do better in these close close matchups, close run matchups where it's a one run difference or runs are far in between and they just do what they need to do, do the little things and they come out on top. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Kaiser has gotten to Maryland before. When you look at the matchups, uh, now first first one, Warner uh, Kaiser did end up winning that game, but Madeline uh, did go eight innings, 11 strikeouts, one earned run. But in, get, in game three of that series, she goes four innings and gives up three runs uh, against oh, excuse me um, against the Seahawks. Just completely lost my train train of thought there, folks. But yeah, um, so I think we just, I I'm not saying it's crazy to say this young Kaiser team goes out there and gets to Madeline, which they did. Now it was the day after she threw eight innings, so take that kind of with a grain of salt, in my opinion. But. I, I, I'm it's it, it's one of those scenarios. I do think Kaiser's a better softball team. I do genuinely think that. I think they are better than Warner. I just think the the pitcher is just the X factor. And yeah, I'm a pitching guy. Baseball, softball, I'm a pitching guy. That's what I like. That that's what gets me going. That's what get the mental battle. And I just think there's nobody better right now in the conference than her. So yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go Warner. Uh, moving on to play Coastal Georgia. And I think it, because it's a one game. It's that one-off. That's where that's where that debate comes in. Where okay, the better team is Kaiser, but we're talking about you got to go get me one. It's a game seven. You got to go get me one. Who do you trust more? And obviously, we're going with the pitching of Madeline Martin. I will say in Kaiser's defense, and we've been saying this a few times uh, the past few weeks, they had the toughest schedule I think of either baseball or softball because they had St. Thomas. Southeastern and Coastal to end out their season. And they, even though they lost to the St. Thomas is that doubleheader where they were able to get a run scored and they lost to Coastal. I think that, that going through that gauntlet of a ending season schedule might also help them because yeah. they were tested by the best of the best in the conference. And first of all, it took two from Southeastern. That is impressive. Hey, yo, like, hey, they're they're the ones that made the whole the whole end of the sun. They're, they're the so ones that made everything. <laughs> they were like, the ones that threw a monkey wrench into it, and things just went haywire. Yeah. So, if there is one team that we're like, if we look back at their, so it's kind of how we said Weber in baseball, they had a great end of the season. Ave didn't. Will that affect them in the tournament? This same thing could be said, but the flip side, Kaiser. Yes, the whole they lost two of those series, but they competed. They competed, and they did not bow down. And going into the tournament, will that be a factor where, hey, guys, we just ran through this gauntlet, took one from the highest-ranked team in our conference, as well as competed with those other two teams. We got this. We got this. And if that could be a deciding factor. But I do think Madeline Morton will come in and, and take that first game. Yeah, and people may say, well, why don't you look at Kaiser the same way you look at Abe Baseball? kind of struggled. Uh, they got swept at the end of the year. Different scenarios. Folks, Coastal Georgia wasn't losing a game this weekend. They were not going to lose a softball game. They were not going to lose to a team that was not a lot better than them. And, look, Coastal's 
Kaiser's on the come up, but uh, Kaiser, or excuse me, Coastal is just a little bit di- different breed. I'll say this, and uh, we'll move we'll move on. Let's uh, get things rolling a little bit here. Outside of Coastal Georgia and Southeastern, because those are obviously the two favorites. That's the two teams that uh, I assume you and I, I'll say, assume one of those teams is your pick, one of those teams is my pick. Outside of those two teams, if I had to pick a Sun Conference team to bring home the title from Clearwater. It would be the team from West Palm Beach. I'll leave it at that, but let's move on. Thomas versus St. Thomas. Um, I feel like this one is a little bit more cut and dry, and it's a similar reason. Abby Smith, I think she pitches. Uh, I could. You know, it wouldn't shock me if uh, Coach if uh, Coach Gutierrez doesn't pitch Abby and tries to save her for Southeastern. I don't think that would That's be the case. Been- that's where the having, I think they're the only team throughout points of the season where they had three pitchers in the top 10 in ERA between Abby, Caitlin Spalding, and Melody Viscayono. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes maybe Caitlin Spalding, especially the way she kind of ended the season. She was very well in doing well, very well in the circle. Maybe give Melody the freshman the start, let her get exposure to that. She's the only one that's going to be returning next year as the other two are, are graduating. So it, it it throws some possibilities out there for sure. Yeah, I don't think this is where you want to say experience. But, yeah, I could see Caitlin Spalding, and I still think if you put Spalding out there, um, Manny, I still think I like St. Thomas uh, to, to take this one over Thomas. Look, I, I have two teams right now, a little NAISB preview. I have two teams that if I could invest stock in right now in NAI softball, one of them is St. Thomas. And I'm talking about for the next couple of years, where they are now to where I think they will be going forward. I would invest stock in St. Thomas softball. I am a believe. I am a coach Gutierrez believer. And I want to say that about every coach, especially every young coach, but I am a big believer in him. I really like the direction he's got the program going. I think this could be, you know, I think they, they could, I think they could make a little run. I, I think St. Thomas could, could make a, a good little run here. Um, you know, unfortunately I, they are in that situation also um, where it's kind of like you have to win the Sun Conference tournament or you're not going to make it um, in opening round. Most likely. I don't want to speak for the Raiders or any, anything like that, but I do think St. Thomas at, at least gets this one. Do I think they win the Sun Conference tournament? No, but I do think that they do get this one from Thomas. I have to agree with you. you know, again, going back to their series, first game, I remember that they just could not get any type of offense. Base running just wasn't there, and they lost oh, uh, three three to oh three oh in that game. But then that, that next game they had a doubleheader that that night Friday night, eleven to two, and they finished it in five innings. And I remember just saying and over and over and over on the broadcast, the floodgates opened. It took, if I remember correctly, it took nine innings for that first run to be scored by St. Thomas, and then it was just. The bats were moving. I think Gabriella Gilbert had, I want to say, a three-run homer in that game. It was just much more St. Thomas offense. And then that next game, they won 5-4, to four, a little bit, came down to earth. The Nighthawks stepped it up, too, and it was a nice t- test for both teams. But I think the Bobcats will, between the pitching that they have, and like you said, the team as a whole has just been amazing. Everybody at each base – in the outfield, behind the plate, they've been very, very good. My question has always just been, can the bats get there? Because when they're hitting, it's impressive. But there are times where it does go dormant, and if it goes at the wrong time, like we said, this is a one-off. If it's just not your day, how can they muster up 
base running? How can they muster up scoring opportunities? That'll be something to keep an eye on. But I think they will handle business against the Nighthawks. Yeah, I, I do as well. Um, okay, for the next two. Uh, so we would have in the situation, um, we would have St. Thomas against Southeastern. Yeah, St. Thomas against Southeastern. And then Coastal Georgia, <clears throat> Coastal Georgia taking on Warner. I'll go ahead and say if Madeline Morton does pitch that first game against Kaiser, and I don't know who they pitched game uh, in that game three, game two for them with a fresh Coastal Georgia with probably um probably Haley Dickerson in the circle. I don't I don't see a route. I honestly I don't know even if Madeline Morton doesn't pit, does pitch that second game. I don't know if I see a route um for Warner to beat Coastal Georgia in the tournament. I think Coastal hand, handles them. Any pushback there? No, not really. You know, I pulled up their series. Coastal swept them 210, 02, 01. It's just and Coastal's hot right now. They're hot. They're hot. They're feeling themselves. They are on top of the world right now. And you can't blame them. They got an opportunity to take number one seed. They took it in stride and they never looked back. Other game, Southeastern against Thomas slash St. Thomas. We're saying St. Thomas in this scenario, and I kind of feel the same way. Um, I kind of feel this way about the tournament. Um, there are two teams that have been here, and they feel like this is their year. Uh, at least coming in, it was, this is the year. We have our seniors. Uh, are we going to make the run? You look at Southeastern with with Haley Harrell, Jamie Mead, Erica Stahl. They were going to be the leaders that led them back to the World Series. This is where it starts. I don't know if I'm quite ready to drop the hammer for Southeastern. But I'm getting pretty close to saying now they go. Now they turn it up. Now they turn it on, and they look like the number four team in the country, which what they were coming in. I have a pretty sneaky suspicion that's what happens. I don't know it. By the way, uh, man, let's just go ahead and move on to who we think is going to win it. Because to tell you the truth, I've gone back and forth from coastal Georgia to southeastern and back and forth about 10 times over the last couple of days. And I kind of jokingly said I would say one team on here and another the, uh, the other team on NAISB, but – I picked Southeastern to win the World Series at the beginning of the year. I did. They're, they're not my pick to win the World Series right now, um, you know, just in fairness. But, Manny, they are my pick to win the Sun Conference Championship in Clearwater, Florida. I'm going to disagree with you. I think it's going to be Coastal Georgia. And I, I, I'm not arguing. I'm not arguing. Let me tell you. We're we are Taylor and I, when we get done recording, Taylor and I are doing our preview or not pre our uh, kind of our prediction for all twenty of, of the tournaments. This was the hardest one to pick. This was this and the Heart of America were the two hardest conferences to pick a champion. I, I don't know. I I I could see it going either way. To me, Coastal George is playing better softball right now. To me, they are. But sometimes when you when you say something that uh, a lot uh, months ago, Manny, 
sometimes you just got to ride with the boat until it gets set on fire. I respect no it. I respect it, man. And I, I respect I, it. I'm going to stay with them. But when I say it, it my brain is 51% Southeastern and 49% Coastal. That's about what it's at. But I will say, I will put all my chips on the table and I will say defend it. Cause you know, I, yeah, look, especially the people that, that, that have been listening to Suncast for a while. And I ain't going to dip my toe in my water in the take. I'm going to go ahead and plunge on in. Southeastern will win the, the softball championship. They will do it. But if Coastal Georgia does it, I won't be that surprised. <laughs> I, again, you can't go wrong. It's been a great treat for, again, somebody who has not been a part of softball and baseball, for that matter, so intently before. I don't think I could have come in a better year. I mean, you've been saying it all along. The parody has been amazing. Every We thought we had the standings good about two weeks ago, and like we said, then the Seahawks came around and did something crazy, and everything was going. And I just think Coastal, I mean, I, I pulled up their website, and the first thing I see on their latest news is the Sun Conference Player of the Week was Bryce Peacock, and the Sun Conference Pitcher of the Week was Haley Dickerson. And I see that, I'm just like, I cannot bet against these two ladies right here. And the team. Stop, stop. All right, you, you got to stop. I'm going to flip back. I'm going to flip back to Coastal. I'm going to I'm, 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 I'm flip back. I'm going to flip back. <laughs> I, I, I can't, man. It's just, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Who knows? Maybe we'll, by, by the time the championship comes around, these are the two teams, they will flip each other. We'll be, you know, I'm going to go Southeastern and you'll go Coastal and it'll just be back where we started. That's but I think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. I really am. I think it's going to be awesome. Awesome, awesome championship game. Absolutely. Um, one more thing uh, to talk about is the NAI Women's Lacrosse Championships. They are going on uh, tomorrow and Thursday. We have two teams representing uh, Kaiser and SCAD. Look, this is something I, I've been consistent with. I'm not going to come up here and talk about things I don't know or teams I don't know a ton about. I don't know much about Benedictine women's lacrosse, and I don't know anything about uh, Cumberland's women's lacrosse. I can't give you a uh, whole lot of, uh, about what, what, what I know about them. What I can say is I think Kaiser and SCAD will beat them. How about that? That good with y'all? I think, <laughs> I think I'll make everybody happy. I'll tell you what. You think the Kaiser Seahawks want to play SCAD again after SCAD ruined their perfect season in the uh, Sun Conference Championship? Oh, uh, yeah, I think so. So that's the matchups there. Good luck, uh, Kaiser and SCAD up there. Go represent the Sun Conference well in Southfield, Michigan. Manny, you got anything else? It's playoffs, baby. Let's get it rolling. Let's get it. We told you the plan. Um, we don't really have an opening round plan yet. We want to see where everything's at. I will tell y'all where I will be. Um, I will be in Lawrenceville, Georgia. I will be at the campus of Georgia Gwinnett. Uh, for NAISB, I'll be there uh, covering co uh, covering that. Uh, we'll probably do something similar to what we did last year. Um, obviously, we don't have the finances to send Manny, Brian, and Joe to all the different locations wherever we're going. If we did, it'd be awesome, uh, but we don't. Uh, we could do something where we'll cover the teams uh, remotely. That's pretty much what we're leaning with. If there's a Sun Conference team at Gwinnett, uh, I'll say we'll see. Obviously, if it's softball, I'll have it covered. If we have Ave Maria or Weber going up to Georgia Gwinnett because they are a host uh, as well for baseball, which is a very real possibility, we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll see how the schedule is. I do have to be there locked in uh, doing the NAISB stuff. But y'all know 
the content, the coverage, it's going to be there. Manny, do we have a good plan? We have a great plan. I think it's still yeah. pretty honestly. <laughs> Basically, unless the Wi-Fi craps out on the Eastern Seaboard, we'll we'll be good. We'll we'll, we'll be all right, folks. But let's get into it. We appreciate y'all coming in. Hey, folks, it is conference tournament time. I will say we will record one more time before the conference championship games. Don't know if that will be before kind of the semifinals or for the conference championship. We'll see. I do know there will be an episode out at the latest the morning of the conference championship games at the latest. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into it. Here is my interview with Southeastern track and field national champion coach, Nick Dotson. Okay, we welcome on a very special guest to the show now. It is Southeastern head track coach, Nick Dotson. Coach, appreciate you coming on. How you doing, man? We're good, man. How about you? Good, good, good. Coach, we're going to get a lot into Southeastern track and all that. But first, when I was doing my research for the interview and I was like, He's from the Southwest Georgia too. He's from the two two nine coach. I didn't I didn't know that uh, coming into the interview until uh, last night. Basically, how about that? Yeah, yeah, man, pretty cool, man. From Southwest Georgia, Thomasville, and uh, just uh, love everything about South Georgia. I'm a country boy. Grew up in the in the woods and grew up out in the fields and stuff. My grandfather was a farmer, so um, love everything about South Georgia and what it represents. Yes, sir. So something uh, people may not know, you went to Thomas County Central. Uh, I've, I've said a couple of times I've, I went to Lee County High School. Well, I'm sure not many people know, unless uh, a couple of our uh, Nighthawk people uh, up in Thomas. It's a pretty big rivalry, especially uh, back back in the day. You know, the Jackets and the Trojans, they ain't exactly mixed too well. Yeah, they did not, man. And I, I had a lot of rivalries against them. I still remember playing in the region championship game uh Back in 2005, against Devontae Richardson, who ended up going to Florida State. He was a really good baseball player, quarterback for Lee County. So, uh, played against Buster Posey. Of course, he was Mr. Everything. Played with the, with the Giants, uh, San Francisco Giants uh, for baseball. And so, uh, always been a great rivalry. Lee County's always been really good. And they really turned the corner over the last decade, especially in football. But they've always been pretty solid in baseball and football and even some other sports. Let me see if I if I can grab these two guys real quick. You know, uh, you're a Florida State fan. You know, uh, Jamie Robinson, right? Number ten, yep. just yep. got drafted. We graduated together, class nineteen. Oh. Got got that guy right there together. The there ring. it is. There it is. Yeah, got, you're a true South Georgian. There, there you go. Oh yeah, got the rings. But coach, you are pretty familiar with getting some rings yourself. Just won the 2023 indoor championship. Congrats on that. You just won your fourth. Outdoor Sun Conference Championship. Can you just take us through the process that uh, you've gone through building the Southeastern Track and Field Program? Oh man, it, it's been it's been a journey, uh, but the journey has been very fun. Um, I think I was more or less up for the journey just because I was an athlete that signed to a school that started from scratch, and I was the first signee of the program. So I think just having the opportunity to come in and do it here and and be able to kind of create a culture. And, you know, had a great staff to do it with. And and majority of us are still together that we started the program with the staff that I have. Um, and then we just had got some really good athletes. And I think God blessed us with being able to get the athletes that I thought fit what I was trying to build. And, man, we were able to keep them together. And that's what really won a national championship. We didn't do it with a lot of transfers. Uh, we didn't do it with any international students at all. Not that I have anything against that. It was just that was that core we built the very first year of a bunch of kids that really nobody wanted. They didn't have a lot of offers. And so we were able to kind of keep them together over a five-year span. They came back for the COVID year, and we were able to get it done. 
Uh, with track and field, of course, you have your individual and you got to have individuals that are going to go and have success. But it seems like you've built a really good team, a really good culture that build off of each other. And it's kind of really come to fruition this year. Um, you know, like we said, one, one indoor uh, in, in the winter, about the, hopefully end of May, we're bringing home an, another red banner to the Sunshine State. I mean, this group, it's, it's all come together. Can you talk about them and how special they are to you? Yeah, they're the pioneers of our program. You know, yeah. we call it the pioneers because they literally was with us when we first started and we didn't even have a T-shirt with our name on it at the time until we started getting those things rolling. And they've watched the thing build. And, you know, and our goal was right from the gate was, you know, when we had our first team meeting, as I told them, you know, our goal is to win a national championship in five years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, all of them will tell you that, you know, that's, you know, so it was no shocker to us that we were able to get it done. Um, we were heartbreaking the first year where we didn't get it done and we were up one going into the last event and we were disqualified from that event in the previous day. And then we ended up getting second, but um, that was kind of our vision from the gun was to be able to win those titles without sacrificing our, our, our faith or our academics to do it. And I think we were able to kind of finally put it all together and, and we've done it at the conference level since we started the program. And, and that's really what kind of built that momentum. Absolutely. So let's let's go through the date. March 4th, 2023. It does all come to fruition. Win the red banner. You wake up, you're in a good spot. Can you just kind of take us through the day? What were you feeling? You first wake up was it was like it's go it's day it's game time. It was that first thought when you wake up in the morning on March 4th. Yeah, no, when I when I woke up, you know, I I told our team pretty much that, you know, no matter what happens that day, you know, we're gonna give God the glory regardless. But if you're talking about me waking up personally, I knew we were going to win it. I just knew it was our time. Um, and I did an interview with the NAI the previous day before because uh, we went in with zero points. So, you know, but people knew we were lingering around because we were number one majority year because we're, we're a day three team. You know, and day three means we, we have a lot of finalists and we do a lot of our scoring on the last day where some other teams they're in like other field events and stuff like that that may score early. So you're looking at the leaderboard and we're nowhere to be found. Um, But I I just I had a really good feeling that it was going to work the way we wanted it to work just because of how much time and work we put in dedication. And we've been there before, you know, with this group, you know, they've been to the finals and making it to the national finals and events. We had a lot of experience. And I think that really helped us because the iron was sharpening the iron. We had people that were all in the same events with each other. And that's how our practices are very competitive. Um, And so when I woke up, man, I said, man, I, this is it. It's our, it's our time. And I just feel like if we all just put it together, because uh, we, the hard part was kind of out of the way. And the reason why I woke up feeling like we're going to win it this time is because I knew who were all in the finals. We took care of the business to get them in. Mm-hmm. And so once we got in, now I see them where we're kind of ranked at. And now we just have to hope we finish as high as possible. And, and we were able to do that. And it didn't go the way we wanted. You know, our hurdlers, we got two of the best hurdlers in AI history on the same team. Well, they didn't finish as good. Glenn Rogers was national champion outdoors. He came in last in indoors this year. And that was, that didn't use, that didn't happen for us. And so for us to be able to kind of respond back and our three of our best guys didn't run up to their abilities was really cool to watch because we started to get people step up in other places. All right. So whenever, when it does that, so you weren't sure hurdles didn't, didn't go the way you thought, where you thought it would, uh, you know, like I said, uh, Glenn, like you said, all time NAI track athlete doesn't ha- have his best day. 
But when it does happen, when the when when it's when it's over, y'all y'all win. Uh, the four hundred was the clinching race, correct? Or four by four hundred? Four by four hundred. So y'all get that. JT leads the way. Y'all win it. I mean, what's the emotions? What are you feeling uh, when it when it when it is? It's not like oh, I know we're gonna win. It's like oh no, we, we've won it. It's over. What's that feeling like? Yeah, it was finally like a, a house lifted off our, our shoulders. You know, it's thing like we was carrying a lot of weight for a long time, and uh, and just watching it come down to because that was the event that kind of cost us the year before you know we were disqualified from that event the four by four in the previous day in outdoor so we got second last outdoor season we were disqualified disqualified in the semifinal round of the four by four we got hit for a lane violation um so that means the judges said that we were running on the line for for too long and we got disqualified well, it was crazy because we needed to win the four by four to win a national championship. Like we couldn't get second, can't get third. We got to win it. And it came down to the event that we got disqualified in like six, seven months prior. And so, you know, it, that just seeing them, you know, get it done and watching how it got done. It was just a really cool process. And it was just a lift of weight off of my shoulders. Like, man, you know, we, we were able to do it. And to do it with the class we started with was the really the cool part because, you know, when we got here, you know, we didn't have a facility and all of that stuff, but we didn't use that as an excuse either. You know, we wanted to give them the best experience possible, go to some of the best meets across the country, and then also put ourselves in position to win and show that it can be done whether we have this or we don't have it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people say about you know southeastern baseball or football that have success because the money. And I'm like, it's not that. It's not a promise. And you look no further than the track team. I go to I'm on, I'm on southeastern's campus more than anyone besides Weber, obviously. And mm-hmm. I see y'all training right in right else uh, beside the football field, right beside this uh, the Stono Hall, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. but, yeah, Stino. right, right. The Stono Hall out there practicing just a patch of grass. I'm like. That is the best track team in the country. Just out there, just a little, little bit of little, little bit of area, and it's what you've built here over the last five years. But building a program, uh, you know, being part of a new program, it's an area that you have some familiarity with. Uh, you were actually the first signee ever at Shorter University, another Georgia school uh, up in North Georgia. A little bit of uh, better better weather uh, this time of the year up there. But yeah. Uh, um, Coach, what what made you want to have that challenge of going to a new school, uh, NAI program out of high school, and you know pretty much be the guy that starts running at Shorter University? Yeah, so you know my journey to there. So of course in South Georgia we play football. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thomas County Central was very good in football. I played in three state championship games. Well, I played in one state championship game. Sorry, and we made it to the semifinals my sophomore year. So I played against Sean McVay when he was at Maris. Um, so, you know, we, we had a lot of those dog fights with some of the better teams, but yeah, then, you, yeah, man, we was, yeah, <laughs> it was a wishbone versus the beer, you know, we ran yep. the beer and, and Sean McVay and them ran the, the triple option. And so, you know, football is what you do down there, but I, I kind of started to get into track just because I was like, man, you know, I want to be able to get faster for football. And, and then I started to realize I started to like it a whole lot. And so I come into doing the hurdles mostly because I wasn't one of the fastest guys on the team at the time, you know, the 100, 200, I just wasn't one of the faster guys. And so I kind of got into the hurdles because of that. And then I grown to start to really like it. Um, I ended up winning the state championship in 2006 and the 300 hurdles in class 4A. Uh, but I didn't have a lot of offers because I wasn't the tallest guy in the world. And so most of the bigger schools were kind of looking for the guys that were 
you know, almost six foot and above, you know, because they're longer, got a longer stride pattern, et cetera, which is understandable. Uh, so that kind of left me on the table as a state champion with not a whole lot of offers or the offers that I did have. I just thought that I was worth more than what I was getting. So Coach Bird, who is my mentor, Coach Scott Bird, he he was starting the program from scratch at Shorter. Um, it was Shorter College at the time, transitioned to university while I was there. Um, he reached out and said, hey, you know, I'm starting a program from scratch. Love to build a program around you. It's like, wow, build it around me. Wow. Unbelievable. And so he, he did. And he said, Hey, I'm going to give you this amount of scholarship money. I said, well, you know, way more than what everybody else was going to give me. And so, you know, and he had those same goals and everything that we had for Southeastern as well. And I said, man, you know, if, if we could have did it shorter then I know we can do it here. And so I kind of took the same formula that he had, but then I added some flavor to it, added some energy, I just kind of add my own little niche to it, but kind of use the same formula. And, and that kind of propelled us to where we went. So you said Coach Bird was a, a your mentor in the process. What's something that, that he taught you uh, in your college career that translated that you try to teach your athletes now? Uh, yeah, so Co- Coach Scott Bird uh, recruited, ended up recruiting me to go to a shorter university up in Rome, Georgia. It was shorter college at the time, transitioned to university while I was there. Um he started the program from scratch. He was a coach at the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs before he started coaching collegiately. Uh, so the shorter job was kind of like maybe a retirement job for him because um, he was used to coaching professional athletes and traveling all over the world. But he ended up he went to Jacksonville State in Alabama. So he went to the same school as my wife did. Um, so it was pretty cool just kind of seeing how all those dots connected later. Um, but he recruited me, said he wanted to build the program around me. I thought the guy was crazy. But it, it ended up working out in the end, and, and that's what kind of transitioned to me into wanting to be a coach is kind of how he did it. He built the program around relationships. It's very similar to how we build our program here. Um, it's, you know, we care about the well-being, the mind, body, and soul of the student-athlete. Because uh, if I'm recruiting you, I already know you're good. So we want to know what you can bring to the table outside of just being good in athletics. And that's kind of the vision he had for me and when I was at his program. Well, it seems like you certainly, you know, built a good message just like uh, Co- Coach Bird did with his program. But I think he certainly uh, he made the right decision deciding to build around you. You were an 11-time All-American, three-time national champion at the NAI level at Shorter. Is there one race, though, that really sticks out? You know, but back in the day, and I know you, you got to think about the glory days a little bit, right, Coach? I mean, anything about it back out there for Shorter? Is there one race that really sticks yeah. out for you? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, definitely the national championship race in 2011 uh, up in Marion, Indiana, and that's where we're going for our nationals this year. So I haven't been back since I won up there, uh, so it would be cool to get back. But that's the one race, uh, the national championship race in the 400 hurdles. Um, it was for all the marbles, and we needed 10 big ones to kind of get back into the hunt to win the team title. Um, and so being able to be able to get those points for my team, of course I wanted to win individually, but I wanted the team title as well. Um, and we needed 10. My coach made that very clear to me. I need 10 from you. Um, and so that race really um, set. It was really a standout race for me because I had to beat the 110 national champion to win that race. Um, it was a kid from Doan, Nebraska, who was very good, who had beaten me before. Um, and so I was able to, you know, beat him when it was really counted. So that, that's one of the races that stand out. And then I had a lot of them. I raced a lot of pros during my career at Shorter. Um, I raced – couple Olympic champions. So those all stand out. But I think 
you know, being able to keep it at our level and get the points that my team needed to win. That's why that one stands out the most. Absolutely. Well, like we said, you, you've had success building, uh, bu- building as an athlete and building as a coach. But what was it about Southeastern that made you want to take up the challenge of being the head coach at a brand new track program? Uh, I, I think it was really, number one, it was a Christian school. And so just like Shorter, uh, Southeastern was a Christian school, but, but they operate almost very similar. Uh, so I was comfortable with that environment as an athlete. And so that's always somewhere I wanted to be as a coach as well, because uh, some of my former schools that I've coached at wasn't, op- didn't operate the, w- the way Shorter and Southeastern does. So that was number one thing is I wanted to be at a, a Christian institution. Two, um, being able to be in Florida was a huge plus uh, because of the weather, uh, but then also, too, I wasn't going to be super far from home either, where I can see family and stuff a little bit more often. Um, and then just also being able to take on the challenge of starting a program like my college coach did, because uh, my goal was chase him. I wanted to win the national championship quicker than, he, than we did when I was there. Um, and so I had that challenge. I said, man, I wonder if I can start. And then I, and I, I spoke with him about it. Um, and he thought that I had all, this, all the tools needed to be able to do it and be successful. Uh, but I, I think it was, you know, it wasn't all just me though, you know, just being a, he told me, you know, you're going to have to get a, a solid staff that's going to trust you and, and what your vision is for the program. And we end up getting that, um, have fantastic staff play a big part into what we've been able to do and the success that we've had, um, mentoring our student athletes, um, loving on them when they need to loving on getting on to them when they need it. And that that's really helped us. And so I think it all just kind of came together um, and we just built it off hard work, dedication and, and, and honesty, man. And I think that's what really kind of propelled us into the direction that we're going and, and we're looking to continue to keep that momentum. It sounds like you certainly uh, built with people around you to help build up the program. You brought in the right athletes. And look, we could probably do an hour-long podcast where we just talk about the individual athletes that you've had uh, at Southeastern. But one guy that really stands out, uh, I had him on recently, Joseph Taylor. I mean, one of the all-time NAI track athletes. I mean, really helped y'all win the Red Banner. Hopefully, uh, we'll help y'all win another one here in May. What is it about JT, though, that makes him so special? Yeah, he uh, just just his leadership uh, and, and when he's on, he's on. And, and so and I think this year at the national championships, we finally put him in a position where he had an opportunity to go after individual title where he didn't have to feel like he had to do so much because he had really good teammates around him. Um, and we transitioned him. You know, he used to do a lot of 100 meters and stuff for us. And we kind of transitioned him full time this year to being a 400 meter runner. Um, and it passed. Paid off. He ran the third fastest time in AI history in the finals, uh, ran 4680 to win the 400 meters. Um, and it was 10 big ones that we needed because just like I said, the hurdlers didn't do what we thought they would do. Um, <laughs> and, and so we needed someone to step up big. And I think once Joe grabbed 10 for us, we kind of rode the wave. Everybody else kind of just jumped on board. And, and that was huge because that, you know, if you go look, we end up winning by five, you know, so yeah. we needed that was 10 from him. Uh, to put us in position because life was looking to try to win their they had one outdoors last year and we we're looking to win indoors and so we just needed him to step up but uh, you know he's a he's a great leader you know he gets along very well with his teammates 
Um, and then also, too, he performs at a very high level when you need him to. And 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 so and I love what he brings to the table. And I'm, I'm glad we'll still have him back for a couple more years, too. Going to be, be electric. But and it's good to have him back. Yeah, I mean, you, you get to have him back and keep building with the program. So it's kind of kind of look a little bit into the future of Southeastern. So you kind of look right now. This is the pinnacle. This is what you've been building to get to uh, since you got there in 2018. How do you keep main, maintaining this success, though, in Lakeland? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we've because uh, we're, we're sending our first two classes out the door. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's kind of been asking me that same question. How are we going to be able to maintain the level of success that we've had? And um, I think the way we do that is continue to recruit the student athletes, the style of student athletes that we brought in in the first two classes, especially that 2018 class. Um, and they're not all going to be perfect. There are going to be some that's going to be a culture the problem or, or fit for us. And, and sometimes we have to make a move that puts us in the right direction so we can keep progressing forward like we've been doing. Um, but yeah, you know, now we're the first year we were recruiting against, you know, Kaiser and, and Weber and Warner and some of the others. Those are the people that we were fighting off um, and not saying this in a bragging way, but we're not really recruiting those same type of kids anymore. Mm-hmm. We're now fighting UCF and USF and some of the others. Miami yeah those are the kid, the teams that we're fighting off for recruits now and and that is definitely no shot to any of the other teams in our conference that's just kind of where we are now I don't think that's a that's a shot and I I don't think anybody should take it as a shot it's just right now y'all are the standard for track and field in the Sun Conference period I mean that's not a that's not an opinionated question. Right now, y'all are the standard. And so, yes, it is awesome that y'all are going and competing with high-level Division One schools for athletes like this, like that. I mean, can you talk to us a little bit? How does NAI, like the top level where where y'all are at, where life's at, how does it uh, how does that compare to you know the Division Two and the Division One level? Yeah, it, our championship that we won this past year, if you go compare it to Division Two, we've definitely been in the hunt. Um, I think our hurdlers would have had to finish better past year. They have some really good teams up there. But if we're on, we're, we're just as good as to win the D2 title. And if you put us in Division One, I, I believe we'll be a top 10 team. Um, you know, some of those teams have a little bit more depth than what we have. Um, but you put us in the hunt on any day, I feel like we can go with a lot of the teams, whether they're in power five or not. And we do it each week. And that's why we feel confident about that. And, and the schools are are getting a little bit more comfortable with letting us in to some of those power five meets. Sometimes they don't let us in, but this year, you know, Miami let us in. UCF is going to the big 12. They let us in every year. Uh, USF has been really good about letting us in, but then we do get a few that, they won't let us come, and it's okay. We un- we understand. Um, we, we we have now grown to understand it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we just want to seat at the table with everybody else. And when we recruit our student athletes, we tell them you can come to a school like Southeastern that's faith based. That you can get that. You can get a really good classroom size so that you can learn mm-hmm. at a level of where you feel that you can learn. Because some people can't learn in the level that's 400, 500 people in an auditorium. Yeah, yeah, you know, so we can get that here. But then also, too, you get to travel and go to some of the top meets in the country. Mm -hmm. So why do you feel that you have to go there if you can literally get it right here as well? And so and that's kind of what we've been selling and recruiting. And a lot of our kids have bought into it. Some of the kids that we've signed, even in this class coming in, people like, how in the world did you get them? You know, and I think it's not because of just our success. That's a big part of it. But 
also our culture and what we have and what we have to offer at Southeast and outside of the program as well. Absolutely. Hey, Coach, I, do, I have one last qu- question for you, and it's one I've asked um, Southeastern uh, people, especially coaches, uh, multiple times before, but I love, love hearing it. I want, want to hear it from you. Southeastern University is one of the standards for athletics and the NAI. What is it? Why is that? Why is Southeastern so successful from an athletic, faith-based, and from an academic standpoint? Well, if we, I'll start with athletics. I think, too, if you look in our athletic department, a lot of our coaches in here, we all support each other. Mm-hmm. So whether we're going to each other's games or we're on group text congratulating each other or and sometimes it gets competitive. Like we have a um, we have a account outside of our wall here that's kind of have like the commissioner cup points. Okay. And so everybody goes over there and kind of looks at it and say, hey, you know, and I'll, I may ask tennis, you know, I may ask Drew Dickens, hey, man, basically, hey, we got to get this week because we need you to get those 20 points or whatever it may be. And and that helps us all kind of stay motivated to want to push towards the next level. Or if you see your buddy in the spring sport, like like I talk to Dinko all the time in baseball, and if I see that he's rocking it over there, I'm like, dude, I told him last year, I said, dude, I want the one thing you got, and that's the national championship. I haven't <laughs> got it yet. And then now I was able to get it, and, you know, he's pushing and motivating me towards it. And so I think we, we we see that a lot within our coaches in our department, which is huge, and I think that's what helps propel everybody to be at a high level. And then just from an academic standpoint. Before, um, uh, before you get into the academic, I just want, want to say I've seen that white, uh, that the dry erase board that, that where it has all the commissioner cup. I've seen it a few times, and every time I see it, I just go, we got to get some more points at Babson Park, man. We got yeah. we to we <laughs> get some more points. Yeah, yeah, you gotta you gotta talk to whoever, man. Tell them to pick it up a little bit. We got to, but yeah, the, uh, the academics at Southeastern, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think the academics at Southeastern. I think the ratio with it being student athlete to professor ratio was huge. Um, it creates a more comfortable learning environment. Your professor knows exactly who you are. They have your number, your email address. You miss class, they're not really calling to get onto you. They're calling, hey, is everything okay? This is what you missed today. And so I think that creates an environment where it's very comfortable and allows you to be in a position to be successful in whatever degree it is that you're trying to go after. And a lot of our professors are very supportive of athletics. You know, you'll get some that, and every school has it, that are kind of on the edge a little bit about athletics, but majority of ours that I've interacted with are very supportive of athletics, and that's huge um, because they understand our schedules, and sometimes classes have to be missed for travel and and things like that. So once you have that understanding with them in the departments, it makes things a whole lot easier. We've all had those professors where it's some of them, they're awesome. They're, they'll they'll yep. love you and then they'll help you all you can. And then we've had some that um, it is what it is. But it's, it's good to sound yep. like y'all have a little, little, little bit more uh, of the supportive side. I mean, that's huge, especially for an NAI institution where there's so many student athletes on the campus. Yes, most definitely. Yes, sir. Well, Coach, uh, I really appreciate you coming on. If there's anything else you'd like to add, Mike's all yours. If not, I'm good. Yeah, no, we, we I appreciate you having us on and uh, – we want to continue to keep progressing. Uh, we're still recruiting for our, our class of 23, and we're already looking at 24s and on. But um, we want to continue to be what we call the standard. We, you know, the standard is the standard. And so we want to be that standard, um, not only at the conference, but the national level. And I think that will help continue to propel everyone else in our conference, which we've been seeing a lot of people get better. Um, but we want to go after the outdoor title. Not too many people have completed the double, which is the indoor-outdoor double. So that's something we want to get done this year. Uh, that's been a big goal of ours, and so we appreciate all the support along the way. 
hey, well, let's go sweep it up and go bring another red banner back to Lakeland. Yes, sir, man. I appreciate it, man. Yes, sir.